0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race, hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. It's Friday, and that means it's time to look back at the week and make sense of the biggest local and statewide stories in our weekly news recap. Stories like these.
1: The host committee for Chicago's 2024 Democratic National Convention is looking for volunteers from each of the city's 77 neighborhoods and nearly dozen suburbs. We're
0: putting that power back into community leaders to help uh, inform us on our engagement strategy, but also to make sure we have uh, a volunteer corps that looks like all the diversity and color of all of Chicago.
2: The city of Chicago becomes the largest city in the country to call for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. City council members were split on that resolution it calls for an immediate ceasefire between Israel and Hamas, but also demands the release of all hostages.
0: And like always, we couldn't do it alone. This week, we were joined by Chicago Tribune investigative reporter Ray Long. Ray is also the author of The House That Madigan Built, the record run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer. And Monica Eng, Chicago reporter for Axios. And rounding out our panel is our colleague and friend Mariah Wolfel, WBEZ city government and politics reporter. To start our conversation, we began with city council and Mariah brought us back to Wednesday when council members weighed in on the war in Gaza.
1: Sure. So it was a divided council, a 23 to 23 tied vote on what has become a very controversial resolution for a ceasefire and what the council has been debating for months now about how to weigh in on this international crisis um, The mayor broke the tie, so it passed 24 to 23. Um, The ceasefire resolution calls for three things, a permanent ceasefire, humanitarian assistance, and the immediate and unconditional release of all hostages. It's modeled after a United Nations resolution, 377, called Uniting for Peace, um, which... Uh, 153 nations voted in favor of after the U.S. vetoed a similar resolution in the U.N. Security Council. Mm. And so that was very controversial for many older people who thought we shouldn't be weighing in on this international crisis and we shouldn't be undermining the authority of the United States um, at the United Nations. Um, But ultimately, it it ended up passing and, um, you know, it has become very controversial. Yeah, well, why don't we listen to some differing perspectives then on this resolution?
0: First off is 25th Ward Alder Byron Sigcho Lopez. Then we're going to hear from City Council's only Jewish alder, which is uh, the 50th Ward's Deborah Silverstein.
2: Today is a very important day and is a day where the city of Chicago can be an example, as it has been an example of integrity and change. But one thing that we cannot do is be silent in the midst of
3: genocide. Today is 116 days since the October 7th terrorist attack. 116 days since 1,200 innocent Israelis were murdered and 240 people were kidnapped. 116 days they'll have been waiting for the world to stand up for them and say their lives matter, that Jewish lives matter too.
0: So, Monica, you were also at City Council on Wednesday. Describe what you saw.
2: I saw a lot of division. I saw people who had, you know, heartfelt points of view. I was uh, surprised, well, not super surprised, given the last uh, vote that was on this by um, Alderman Jim Gardner, who got up and gave a very heartfelt uh, testimony about how his uh, best friend on the council, Anthony, um, sorry, um, uh, Alderman Nick Spazzato. Was voting on the other side of this, but he said, "In my heart of hearts, I uh, I can't. I, I need to be calling for a ceasefire." Mm-hmm. So some strange bedfellows, but I also saw a council that may have voted differently had uh, certain council members not left before the vote, including uh, Alderman Burnett, Coleman, and Pat it, Dow, Pat Dow, and Mitz as well. I think so. Um, and so that was interesting to have a, a split vote, the mayor deciding it. But I think, you know, it really reflects the larger divisions across the city Mm -hmm. and the world on this very contentious issue.
0: Yeah. And we know that leading up to that vote, hundreds of CPS high school students were actually, they participated in a a walkout on, on Tuesday. Fill us in.
2: So hundreds from, you know, schools, Curie, Jones, Kenwood, Lane Tech, Lincoln Park, mm-hmm. all uh, all had their own various versions of it. Some came down to City Hall. And I think, again, it reflects uh, a real feeling among youth um, about their their discontent with the United States policy on this and, and their desire. And the desire in, in some polls showing about 70 percent of Americans would— uh, would support a ceasefire.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So Chicago's now the largest U.S. city to officially support a ceasefire. I'm curious your thoughts, Ray, because Mayor Johnson and city council, as I mentioned, they're weighing in on this international issue that both sides are so passionate about.
3: Yeah, I think it's a reflection of their own constituents. And I think that's largely a reason this was driven so hard, Mm -hmm. is there were so many vocal constituents who wanted... A uh, different uh, action taken, and uh, as a result, you've you've got this proposal that comes forward. It becomes controversial. It, it reflects the nation, as uh, Monica and Mariah were saying. And th- the reality is, of course, they're not running up and down the streets of, in Gaza saying, "Oh my gosh, we got to have a ceasefire because of, of this Chicago City Council uh, decision," but it is an opportunity to not only see the uh, voices of the local constituents carried forward in a way that represents them but it also is a reflection that students are are paying attention and you know lord knows we need more people to be paying attention and especially young people to be paying attention how this reflects politically uh joe biden has definitely got to figure out how to get this resolved in in a way that's beneficial for him if he unless he uh, puts in jeopardy uh, a black of votes that could could be the difference between winning or losing in some key states.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I would add to that I just to that point I think that when you think about, you know, why the city council is weighing in on an international crisis that it has very little impact over, I think it got to a point, as we've seen in council meetings for the past three to four months, it it got to a point where the city council had to do something. They had to address this to even just prevent disruptions and be able to work on the many many other things that so whether it's you know whether they pass this for the symbolic message of support to Palestinians in Chicago whether you know they did it to try to have a ripple effect that that reaches its way to President Joe Biden mm-hmm. or whether it's so that they can get on with their business um, because organizers including students, uh, sent the message that it will be impossible for you not to speak up on this right. because we're going to keep you know disrupting. We're going to keep showing up to city council meetings. Yeah. Well, this
3: is this will reflect a, uh, uh, one way or another and how the DNC mm-hmm. happens here in Chicago. Yeah, and I mean we
0: um, we got the 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 Democratic National Convention's host city opposing the Democratic president on an issue that is dividing the country. I mean, how do you think, Monica, that Chicago's resolution is going over with Democratic leaders?
2: Well, I mean, uh, the White House can't be super pleased about it. I was at an event uh, that Politico held at the hideout last night, and it was um, it was uh, Christy George who is planning the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. And the, the program was interrupted five times, no fewer than five times, with people jumping up on stage and saying, cancel the DNC now. They were using terms like Genocide Joe. They were saying, you know, in, in essence— that people were saying, well, why aren't you doing this in Milwaukee at the Republican convention? They're saying, in essence, the the two candidates are the same on it. Um, I see this only growing and growing. People, one, one person said, wait a minute, Chicago just passed a ceasefire ordinance. And he said, it doesn't matter. It was weak and it barely passed. Um, so I don't see this going away.
0: Now, organizers, they're already preparing for protests outside of this summer's convention. And one application for a protest was just denied this week, Monica.
2: That's correct. What happened? Um, it, it was a, a group um, that is advocating for LGBTQ rights, and they wanted to have their protest outside of the official zone. Um, and that appears to be the crux of the denial. But I think in a, in a larger scope, it shows the beginning of I think what Neil Steinberg uh, said in his column today was a, a circular fire, firing squad of Democratic Party. that Those who who generally do agree and, and even the group said, you know, hey, most of the Democratic Party agrees with us. We're going to all start kind of attacking each other with or they are going to start all attacking each other with internecine battles ahead of this mm.
0: While some people are applying for protest permits, convention organizers are encouraging others to apply to be neighborhood ambassadors, Mariah. What's that about?
1: Yeah, this is part of the DNC's effort to make good on its promise to expand outside of the center, the United Center's core, where the DNC will be held and um, McCormick Place, where it will be headquartered. And so they're encouraging people to apply, you know, seasoned organizers or community leaders to apply to be an ambassador. It is unpaid. Um, and in fact, you won't even be assured a slot at the con- a ticket to the convention. You'll be competing for that with your fellow ambassadors. And what exactly- exactly would you be doing so your the the main job is to recruit volunteers okay the dnc needs 12000 volunteers to put on the event these are people who will be at o'hare or midway airports corralling people to the united center or to mccormick or to their hotels mm-hmm. they would be drivers they'll be you know checking tickets even checking coats you know all all of the things that that are required to put on a massive event um and so the main role will be recruiting volunteers each of the 77 ambassadors, if they can hire one from each neighborhood, will be required to get at least 50 volunteers. But then they're competing for whoever gets the most for There'll a be prizes. ticket to the convention, cash yeah. prizes. Will there really. Yeah. 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 I think that was sarcasm.
2: No, <laughs> prizes? Yeah. That, that's what Christy George of the DNC said last night. Right. Okay.
1: And then, you know, there's like this softer responsibility of. Elevating businesses in your community, if you think that they would make a good venue for an event for the DNC, um, these ambassadors are going to have bi-monthly check-ins with the um, convention committee's leadership team. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you're seeing a business that really wants to get involved, you could, I guess, take that opportunity on a phone call to be like, you know, so-and-so cupcake shop in my neighborhood is interested in hosting the Democratic Party or some delegates or a delegate party um, or just even proposing a business in your neighborhood to be on this list of vendors that the DNC is creating to send out to all of the delegates. So Um, You applying to be a neighborhood ambassador, Ray?
3: (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure if that would work for me. (laughs) I do think that it's interesting, though, that they've already denied this permit that you were talking to Monica about, because in 96, things were so much different. They were running for re-election of Clinton. Everybody was Mm -hmm. solid on that And uh, they had a zone for protesters. And the protesters went there, much to my surprise. Mm. (laughs) But I got a feeling that the the, the tension in the various political discourses around the country is building to the point where – we ain't gonna have a nice, oh, no. a little zone for protests. This it's gonna time. be an
1: interesting
2: summer.
3: Yeah, and yeah, it's not gonna be nice and neat. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get ready, sixty-eight reruns. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we also learned this week, Monica, that the uh, the DNC could impact CPS as well. That calendar. What yeah. did they do?
2: Well, you know, one of the things uh, Christy George was saying last night was she hopes that a lot of young people participate. And so if a lot of young people who go to CPS are still participating during the convention, they won't be able to start school if school starts on time. So they're proposing to start it a week later, which in my mind, as a kid who went to CPS and all my kids went to CPS and my Mm -hmm. parents did – School is supposed to start after Labor Day. Thank so you. Still- thank yeah. you. It's, it's I don't so know what this strange. is.
0: I don't know who signed off on this change yeah. two school years ago. I remember getting a survey in 2021 saying, hey, we're changing the calendar this yeah. fall. What would you like? No, and I you. nobody I know picked what we got, yeah. <laughs> which is August. Also, can I just add that the DNC happens to be on my birthday weekend, oh. and I could wow. have used this little one-week pushback yeah, yeah. over the last two years, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for so it's, sure. Yeah, so, it's, so, I'm a little so, salty. Right. <laughs>
2: Same. I mean, August 26th still seems really early. But whatever, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but, you know, maybe these kids will get volunteer jobs or even intern jobs, and then they could work them. Now you got me fired up, Monica. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> mm. Before we take a g- uh, quick break, Mariah, there is one other city council story that we could use an update on. and This one involves how police officers would be
1: disciplined. You want me to go through this quickly? It's yeah. <laughs> yes. so complicated. It's so complicated. Um, so the, the council for the second time was supposed to take up... Um, a vote on whether to reject a private arbitrator's ruling that police officers have a right for the for when they are accused of the most serious Uh, Misconduct cases um, when when they're either facing termination or suspension of more than a year, that those police officers have a right to have their cases adjudicated by a private arbitrator behind closed doors. Currently, they're adjudicated by a mayoral-appointed police board, and the city council wants to keep it that way. So they have already voted to reject this arbitrator's ruling, Mm -hmm. but last year the arbitrator came back and reaffirmed that ruling, pushing it back to the city council again, and so this week a committee again rejected that ruling for the second time for the second time. And that was then supposed to be set for a vote on Wednesday by the full city council. Um, The city council, two mayoral allies moved to delay that vote and postpone it. And then later in the day, there was a court hearing um, where a judge basically put a pause on everything until February 24th and said, "Okay, you know, any case that's pending in the police board right now, we're putting it on hold. That includes the officer who shot fatally shot Adam Toledo in 2021, 13-year-old Adam Toledo. That mm-hmm. case got a lot of attention. Um, so that case and others are on hold until February 24th. And that's the date the judge has given the city council to vote on this. Mm. Um, if the city council doesn't vote on it by then, then the arbitrator's ruling stands. The police union will get its way and police officers will be able to have their cases adjudicated behind closed doors. If they vote, on it and reject the ruling again, then the police union is vowing a lengthy court battle. This will be played out in the courts. Um, the union says the city is in violation of state law, which yeah. uh, state labor law, which. And Ken Zara saying that this is a stall tactic. Yes. That, and this is stall tactic and that this is a, um, you know, this is just this is just politicking. Um, And the city council is trying to send a message while knowing that they're in violation of state law. Um, And the next court hearing is on February 26. And so we can expect another vote on this by the city council in the next month. And then, um, you know, we'll be back on the show to talk about the court battle. We'll be back if, if they vote to reject it. Now we turn to state politics. The Illinois State
0: Board of Elections made a decision on whether we'll see former President Donald Trump's name on the March ballot. Here's Ray with more.
3: Yeah, it's a real kind of uh, in the weeds thing here. But uh, basically it comes down to a a group has filed to remove Trump from the ballot because they believe he was part of the insurrection on January 6th uh, uh, when in the waning days of his presidency. And so uh, it went to a hearing officer at the State Board of Elections, and that's a retired Republican judge from Kankakee who said, you know, I kind of think that uh, this is insurrection, but I don't think we have the the bandwidth, basically, to uh, handle the analysis of whether this is a constitutional issue that we should take on. Uh, he kicked it over to the uh, State Board of Elections. An 8-0 decision came out of them. Four Democrats and four Republicans all said uh, Trump should basically stay on the ballot. So now, he got
0: approved. He's, he, he's staying.
3: Yes. However, <laughs> then the group that uh, wants to remove him uh, has gone to court. They had a status hearing today uh, that's just um, kind of a paperwork Uh, shuffle at this point, but it's supposed to get on a fast track. It'll probably end up in front of the Illinois Supreme Court, which has a 5-2 majority Democratic tilt. Now, uh, whether that would then bounce up to the U.S. Supreme Court is all part of this national mix of things, starting with Colorado saying that uh, he did not Qualified that Trump did not qualify to be mm-hmm. on the ballot uh, because of the 14th Amendment. And uh, that is one, just to refresh everybody, and let me get my notes in front of me here, <laughs> is that uh, uh, Preach, you, those who have taken an oath <laughs> to uphold the co- Constitution as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature, et cetera, uh, shall not be able to serve in Congress or hold any office, civil or military, if they've engaged in insurrection or uh, or rebellion. And uh, there is the belief that uh, by a lot of people that uh, Trump did, while he was urging uh, the protesters to, to march on the Capitol, uh, did uh, play a role in, in the uh, effort to storm the Capitol, yeah. which was a fatal Uh, incident. And uh, as a result, uh, a lot of people think that he should be tossed from the ballot under this clause.
0: Yeah. And the Supreme Court is hearing the challenge to the Colorado ballot next week. Could that impact us in Illinois?
3: Yes. Um, They they are likely to come down. Well, I I don't know if anything is likely with this current U.S. Supreme Court, but people are looking to the U.S. Supreme Court to say yes or no, Trump can be on the ballot so that we don't have a scattershot version of the ballot throughout the different states so that some states would have him, some states don't, et cetera. Mm. But um, it's a it's a major decision that they have, and um, they have to make all these things quick because we got to get the ballots printed. Uh, they're supposed to be printed uh, by February 8th. It's not unusual in Illinois to have some kind of kink in the, in the system and push back the, the printing, but it, they have to get out and get printed for early voting and for military uh, folks who are overseas.
0: Yeah. Monica, any thoughts on how Trump on the ballot might impact the other candidates?
2: Yeah, well, my colleague Justin Kaufman at Axios did a story about how that decision might affect the down ballot races. Uh, Jim Durkin, who was the House GOP leader, said he was getting out of it because of um, Trump's negative impact at the top of the ticket, and uh, he said mm-hmm. that he's been harmful to Illinois and a good portion of the United States. Um, uh, we had um, Pat Brady, the Illinois GOP chairman. Um, who told the Center for Illinois Politics since Trump since Trump's been involved, we've lost DuPage County. We're down to super minority status in both Illinois House and Senate, and we don't have any constitutional effort uh, officers. But I think you know Illinois is largely a tale of two states. You get the Chicago metropolitan area, and mm-hmm. then you get downstate, mm-hmm. and um, actually downstate um, people believe Trump is actually energizing votes, and so it's it's not uniform. I think uh, I think the the Republicans who were in the Chicago area, Kendall County, DuPage County, uh, even some northwest counties, they felt like um, this is this is not good for us. We're losing the suburban moms and the the suburban
0: women. Couldn't be more divided.
3: Yeah, Democrats are split over this too because they think that Trump is energizing too. That they that having Trump on the ballot just you know pushes more Democrats to get out to the polls and vote against him. So uh, that's one school of thought as opposed to this group that is also trying to knock him off.
0: Everybody's looking for motivation from yeah. Trump, yeah. it <laughs> sounds like. Well, speaking of elections, that March primary is not far away, Mar- Mariah, March 19th. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Illinois is still looking for election judges.
1: What's the latest? It's it's a common tale. We talk about it every election season. Um, finding enough poll workers, it has become increasingly challenging for election officials. Um My colleague Tessa Weinberg did a great story kind of looking at why that is and how people are trying to address it. Um, And she found that, you know, this downturn, multiple factors, um, a downturn in recruitment from political parties um, of election workers Mm -hmm. themselves. And so that has shifted the onus onto government agencies to find poll workers. Also challenges in elections and voting patterns um, require new training every year. And so you have to just like changing rules of how elections are carried out Mm -hmm. um, require new training. And then this increase in threats and harassment that has plagued workers nationwide. I'm not sure that's as much of an issue in the Chicagoland area. Well, it's definitely not as much of a Chicago, an issue in the Chicagoland area as it is elsewhere. Um, But that contributes to motivation. And so election officials in Chicago um, have tried to increase pay. Um, I think you can get paid around $230 in Chicago as a new election judge, Um, $450 or $400 as a as a polling technician um, in Chicago, we do have a a little bit easier because of the consolidation of precincts that we saw recently. And so um, 6,500 election judges are needed, which is a huge decrease from the 11,000 that were needed two years ago before um, precincts were reduced by 40%. But yeah, the election's coming up. Um, It's a big one in Chicago. There's a big referendum, um, the so-called bring Chicago home referendum um, on whether or not to increase the real estate transfer tax on properties valued over a million dollars, in order to fund homelessness, and so that's going to be energizing for voters. It's it is you know primary elections are a little bit you know le- the turnout is lower, but right. I, I'm sure election officials are expecting higher turnout for this primary because lot of the citywide topics. ballot. I'm sticking with you
0: for a moment, uh, Mariah, because I want to turn to that migrant crisis, Mayor Johnson. Once again, delayed enforcement of that 60-day shelter-stay limit. Let's listen to a little bit of what he had to say about that. Because our plan for temporary emergency shelter was never meant as a long-term housing solution. But we want to give every person and every single family that has come to our city enough time to process their work
1: authorization, find housing, start a new life in our great
3: city.
0: So this is the third time that the mayor's delayed evicting migrants
1: from shelters. How long is he now saying that they can stay? Until at least March. And so now the... Okay. So he thinks winter will be done? I, you know, by it's, March? it's a it's a factor of things. Uh, it's, a, it's a number of factors contributing to this. It's one that people aren't being housed fast enough. And he is hoping that that ramps up with... Um, state aid for caseworkers at every migrant shelter. And I think they are starting to see people getting housed more quickly, but they are still struggling. And I I think they took a look at the numbers and said, oh, you know, by our February 1st deadline, we have around 2,000 people who are going to be forced to leave. And it's unclear how many of those people were able to find housing. And I I don't think it was significant enough of a number for them to move forward with with that deadline. Also, there have been fewer buses arriving to Chicago. And so I think that they have been better able to manage the influx, Mm -hmm. but it's unclear how long that will last. That could change tomorrow. That could change next week. There could be 16 buses that arrive. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I think it's a a number of factors. But, yes, this has been a mess. You know, they announced this policy in November. The first deadline was supposed to be January 16th. That got pushed back a week during those freezing cold temperatures. Then that got pushed back again amid icy temperatures. And now it seems less weather related and more so just, you know, we've got to start getting people housed quicker so that we're not pushing, you know, 1,500 people or 1,000 people to our landing zone. Yeah, and in up. other cities like
0: Denver and New York, we talked to uh, a woman who reports out of New York City last week, and, and uh, she said that they already started enforcing shelter limits there.
1: Yeah, and he kind of pointed to that when he delayed this deadline. You know, it was a question of whether he was going to delay it or forgo this policy altogether. He was getting pressure from nearly a third of the city council to do away with the eviction policy altogether, saying Chicago shouldn't be in the business of evicting vulnerable people or putting them on the streets. So he premised his comments by saying, look, there are already cities who have really stringent, much more stringent caps than we do. Um, I think he said, he referenced one state with like a 14-day cap for single individuals. Um, And And then he said New York is, you know, continuing with this policy. Mm -hmm. Um, Another state has a has a ban on the cap, Massachusetts, a cap on the number of migrants that they let that they will shelter in beds. Mm. Um, So there's maybe not an eviction deadline for them, but they have a cap. And once those beds are filled, you're out of luck. You can't come or we we can't shelter you. Um, And so he prefaces comments by saying that and then continuing um, to say uh, we want to be flexible here, we're going to push this back a little bit, but we're still going to move ahead right. with this policy. You know, we'll see. Yeah. You're shaking your head.
0: Well, through, I'm just. So <laughs> 90% yeah. of Mariah's <laughs> response there, Ray, I got to get you in.
3: Well, it wasn't because of what Mariah was saying. It was. He's
0: delivering the facts. Uh, yes. <laughs> the truth.
3: The truth is what we want. I just think that Brandon. Uh, uh johnson better hope that puxatani phil is correct and he predicted in early spring and uh, our local uh, critter also did the same thing too so but we have to not lose sight here that these are human beings and it is so uh, uh anathema to so many people that we're just ready to toss people out and not welcoming them we're supposed to be a welcoming city we are supposed to be a quote-unquote sanctuary city and if that is what we are supposed to be then walk the walk
2: I, so, okay i'm gonna play devil's advocate and i never do this <laughs> um <clears throat> the welcoming city ordinance does not guarantee shelter as as new york's law does actually um but I mean, I would also I have a little you know, I have some sympathy for the mayor. Where are the people supposed to go? We still have almost 100 at O'Hare. And so his point was, you know, the laws of physics say you can't have things flowing into a body if you don't have things flowing out or else it'll explode. So I think the 60 day rule was set up to try to create a flow so that those who are sleeping on the floors of police stations or yeah. in tents would have places to go.
3: Well, there may be too many plugs in his bottle. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, there are so many vacant buildings in this town that could be used. If they use a little creativity, such as maybe a tax break for, for uh, owners of buildings that uh, housed migrants, or if they look to some dorms throughout the state that are not being used, uh, they could house people there. And it takes some creativity. I mean, maybe I'm... I'm not saying you should use eminent domain but there are also closed down motels in this city that could be uh turned around.
2: There there are opportunities and what the mayor keeps saying is hey uh JB Pritzker remember the 2200 beds you said you'd open up where are those and yesterday yeah. Pritzker said hey we're still waiting for you to create zoning Uh, opportunities for us to do it. And then the city's like, the state can open up wherever they want. So I think better communication at the city and state
1: level would help too.
0: Well, a a city council committee met this week, Mariah, to talk about the conditions in some of these shelters. I mean, what did we learn from that?
1: Well, I think the city's uh, response to this has been kind of like, we've got it, don't worry about it, conditions are fine. Meanwhile, reports have shown otherwise. Um, you know, we've heard about the Pilsen migrant, Pilsen migrant shelter that the mayor's administration was warned about in October mm-hmm. um, with the cockroach infestation, leaking sewage. Um, in which a child later died? But yes. And we don't know the cause of that boy's death. Um, and so it's t- difficult to link the two. But But there were people who were hospitalized with illness from the shelter. Some of these things are really hard to avoid in congregate settings, Um, you know, sickness during the winter months um, and a vulnerable population staying in a massive old warehouse. And I think the mayor's office in their response to those concerns, which were raised by Alderman Nicole Lee, where the shelter her ward is, where the shelter is. They said, you know, I think something along the lines of I think people were expecting like individual rooms and they have to understand, like we're working with what we can. We, we can. This is a massive old warehouse that we had to like very quickly turn into a shelter. And but the, the mayor's office, the mayor's administration's response to that has been like, we're ramping up vaccinations um, in migrant shelters. We put caps on the sewage. The, the, the
2: sewers we
1: put air filters in there we put air filters in there mm-hmm. we we have a qr code for migrants to scan to <laughs> complain <laughs> to complain i promise you like that was uh, in like three different bullet points um of the of the response um so that it, the i think the meeting on tuesday largely mirrored um yeah that that response and and yeah I, I mean i do sympathize in some ways it is difficult to prop up a shelter. that that's the largest shelter in the city of chicago it's mm-hmm. really hard to keep people safe and healthy in a congregate setting like that but um listen you said I think it best. want more um specific answers on those questions. you said it
0: best earlier Mariah this is a mess up next monica gave us the latest on two tragic shootings outside high schools this week
2: yeah. Um, it's terrible. One in the loop and one at Sen. And I believe that Mariah was following some of that. Um, and, and the mayor gave a, a comment at the Sen one in Edgewater.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, this is just a huge challenge. And it's uh, it's just devastating. So um, the 16 year old was shot um this was yesterday, mm-hmm. and that was actually the third shooting of a CPS student in recent weeks. We saw the one last Friday where two students two. Yeah. were killed outside of Innovations High School. A week before that, a, another student was shot outside of Loomis Longwood on the wow. south side. Um, and this is an ongoing trend and challenge. An analysis by WBEC and the Sun-Times showed a spike in fatal shootings near CPS schools in 2022. Um that year, nine children were killed on a weekday in the hours that students walk home from school between 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, schools citywide have tried to help students de escalate conflicts. There's talk about violence, putting violence interrupters into schools. Any word from police yet about like who's responsible for some of these or what caused these shootings? You know, I don't have the latest. Um, the two, the, the, the shooting this weekend, the shooting on Friday, were, looked similarly where it was um, a group of people who drove by in a car and either got out or shot from the car into either a group or at a person. Right. Um, so th- that seems like a, some sort of dispute. The um, Superintendent
2: Larry Snelling said he doesn't believe they're connected.
1: Yeah, no, no connection, but just looking similar. Looking similar.
0: Let's move to another incident. This is at a West Suburban Middle School, Monica, where police are investigating an assault on a student wearing a hijab.
2: Yes, uh, the students in seventh grade and uh, and CARE and um, Islamic groups believe that it was uh, motivated by hate. The school uh, concluded that they did not believe it was motivated by hate. And so and by
0: it. we're talking about the fact that, I mean, there's cell phone video of this girl being grabbed and it's
1: a pushed video. to the ground. Yeah, choked. And, and there's no audio the on the cell phone video, right? Or at least the video that was released publicly. So it's difficult to say, to hear what was being said.
2: Right. And so they only have the sort of he said, she said version of it. And again, the school's conclusion was that it was not related to and that's that's really um, inflamed a lot of people who believe it should be prosecuted more severely as something that was motivated by hate.
0: Now, she had only been in the country for two months. She's Mm -hmm. here from from Saudi Arabia. Have we heard from the parents? Have the parents spoken up?
2: Um, I've only seen Islamic groups uh, give press conferences, but I I don't think it's over. I think that they're
0: they're Yeah, Um, I do see the the district's uh, school superintendent wrote in a letter to parents. This is a quote here. We have identified the students responsible for this attack. We have no evidence at this time to lead us to believe that this attack was motivated by racial, cultural or religious intolerance. End quote. Mm -hmm. Uh, To your point, Monica, a a lot of people, I think, are, are just really disturbed here that there were plenty of kids videotaping this assault but right, no one helping. seemed to do anything to stop it yeah that's that's kind of the times we're in right pull out your phone first
1: yeah that's yeah, yeah maybe uh, yeah unfortunately I, you, you could imagine that some of those kids potentially weren't even doing that maliciously but it is just like an instinctual thing that's and the which reaction doesn't now. excuse it i mean i but yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. Uh, another school story. This one thankfully doesn't involve violence, Monica. Uh, briefly update us here cuz the the students uh, the state's adjusting how kids learn how to read.
2: Yeah, so you know, for the long time, for the last century, there's been this debate phonics versus whole word. Should you be learning through memorization and guessing in context and the love of reading or should you learn how th sounds or f sounds or ph? And it seems like the pendulum swings back and forth and back and forth. It's swinging back toward phonics, um, especially after a very popular podcast called "I uh, Sold a Story," kind of um, synthesized the, um, the 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 research on this, which does seem to show that for a large swath of children, uh, this whole word, or you can call it balanced uh, literacy method, leaves a lot of them stuck at a certain point where they're not progressing as readers. Uh, we, We asked our readers, tell us, how did you learn to read? And we got dozens and dozens of responses. Most of them said phonics in Catholic school in the 1960s. I guess that tells you what our readers are like, but um, <laughs> uh, but they all loved phonics and they all said, you know, my, ch- my grandchildren learned to read with a whole, whole word and they had really a lot of difficulties. Every kid's different, but um, phonics seems to be winning the day again in Illinois.
0: Yeah, uh, I want to turn to something different while you're here with us, Ray, and that's Mike Madigan's former chief of staff who was in the news again this week give us the latest. on
3: Tim. Well, Tim Mapes was his chief of staff. Right? We have to remember just to set the scene that he was uh, tossed out of office uh, in 2018 by Madigan after A clerk had uh, held a press conference up here in Chicago saying that uh, he had been abusive, uh, sexual harassment, abusive language, all kinds of things. Then, uh, flash forward to 2021, in the midst of the Michael Madigan investigation, he was uh, called into the grand jury, and uh, he had even been given immunity, and he ended up being charged with Uh, Perjury and uh, uh, attempted destruction of justice, and uh, sitting through that trial, Mariah, you were in that trial too. uh, I I was not. Uh, No, no. We've been in court so much for public (laughs) different trial,
1: different
3: trial rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, I mean, they played the whole grand jury tape. I mean, it was very clear that he was. Not saying everything he knew, and now in prose- prosecutors uh, want a conviction, and now they're recommending that he spend fifty-one to sixty-three months, so a little mm. over five years, if uh, the they win on that. Now,
0: when's he scheduled for sentencing? Maybe. Uh, February
3: twelfth, and so, of course, his team is saying he's a really good guy, et cetera, but um, there is a real. Uh, Dynamic here, where i I don't think there will be a whole lot of people in Springfield who will be cheering if he gets off with a light sentence.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. all right. I, I want to turn to something totally different here a, pu- a public transit story, one that I knew nothing about until today. I was today years old um, monica you you covered this for Axios. Tell us about CTA's new pee shields
2: real quick. I just helped with his story by going to, of all places, the Addisons stop by Wrigley Field. What do they need there? They said in in areas where they've had urination problems, they have put these pee shields in that kind of like splash back at you if you try to pee on them. (laughs) Um, And they also splash the urine down onto sand, making it easier for them to clean up. Um, And it had gone kind of viral on Reddit recently, even though they've been up since 2013. Oh, Um, really? I had never seen them. Uh, When I went to go photograph them, it was my first time. A worker at the CTA said, yeah, they put them up to deter urination. It doesn't work. People still do it. Um, I mean, you could just
1: pee in the sands. Right. (laughs) I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. So,
2: like, you know, they told us, they did tell us that they're very popular on European transit. Yeah, well, I didn't make that up.
0: Well, you see, what else is popular in in Europe is is public bathrooms, and we covered this <laughs> on Reset this week because public bathrooms are coming to Chicago. Yay! Uh, we got messages about the issue while we were having our conversation earlier this week on the show, and uh, we're going to play those messages on Monday. Cause some of our listeners has some really good suggestions about that upcoming change to city parks, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I want to turn to something else here because on the recap, Ray. I mean, we try to give. Uh, we try to keep everybody in the loop on what's happening around Chicago all week. I think that that's what we all do as journalists, right? That's our job. But yesterday, you and your colleagues at the Tribune, you asked people not to get information from your newspaper or your website.
3: True. And uh, I have to uh, give disclosure here, too. I am a member of the Chicago Tribune Guild, and I spoke at the press conference, and I uh, we were on a one-day strike, and, uh, you know, we're not going to get the hedge fund overlords, uh, Alden, uh, from New York to bow down to our demands in one uh, one day strike. But we made a point, and I think it's very clear, that uh, we don't want to have to do all the hard work that we do, knocking uh, 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 people's heads all week to get stories and then have nobody given us pay raises for five years. We've uh, been trying to get a contract uh, with this uh, hedge fund, and they just uh, are recalcitrant. They have not offered uh, raises with the cost of living and, and and all the inflation that's gone on. And they have uh, said to us, well, okay, let's deal with the economics by uh, – uh, taken away your 401k, as they did to the managers, as they did to the managers already. And uh, we have uh, said, you know, that's that's like a cut in pay. And they've offered a couple of uh, bonuses for signing, and that's just not Reality. This is uh, not a, a group that is working for a paper that is poor mouth. This is a paper that, uh, contrary to many in the country, had yeah. made double digit uh, uh, profits consistently. And then this group comes in, buys out a lot of people, and uh, is operating with a smaller staff. We're running and pedaling faster, and we're uh, still managing it to stay robust i have to give a shout yeah. out to all my colleagues for that but uh you know come on you're you're uh you're still raking in money and you're not passing it around
0: yeah i gotta give this uh last minute here to monica uh, who worked for the tribune as well as one of your colleagues for 16 years your partner also has a strong connection to the paper. Monica, quick thoughts on, on this.
2: Yeah, he's the former editor in chief. And, you know, I he won't say it, but I can say Alden buying the paper was not a small part of his reason he wanted to leave. He did not want to be cutting. He did not want to be listening to their edicts about how they're going to run the paper. And it's very sad to me the tri- I worked at the Sun-Times before the Tribune and the Tribune was always the paper that would never unionize because they were so well paid. He mm-hmm. could send four kids to college, have a house and a wonderful retirement. When I hear what these kids are being paid these days, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what do you have, five roommates? And and you're like a reporter at the Tribune? Mm. The times have changed.
0: And, and Trib reporters weren't alone, right? There were journalists at newspapers right. across the country striking right. yesterday. Right.
3: There was one, just really quick, there was one other uh, colleague who said he's actually – taking uber uh to supplement his, his
2: he's driving cash. He's, he's driving an uber
3: yeah 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 that's what i mean right. thank you monica and a, another one stood up and said she hadn't had a pay raise since 2004
2: wow remember when tribune employees used to retire as millionaires i mean now they're driving ubers on the side
3: well there was a lot of a lot of people who wow. came out with windfalls there and as they broke up the company too yeah.
0: well i hate to leave it on that note But uh, best of luck to y'all.
3: Hey, truth matters.
0: That's it for the weekly news recap. My thanks to Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune, WBEZ's Mariah Wolfel, and Monica Ng of Axios. Have a great weekend.
2: You too. You too. Thank you.
0: This episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Andrea Guthman and mixed by Ethan Schwab. If you enjoy our weekly news recap, well, subscribe to the Reset podcast so that you'll never miss the next one. From city and state politics to national and international news, we have got you covered with the latest information, sharing all different kinds of perspectives and keeping you in the know and in the loop. Thanks for tuning in this week. I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. Check out our podcast feed tomorrow for a special Saturday pod.